Hello? Hello? Are we still here? Of course we are! We all survived! It's the Daily Rios for December 21st, 2012. Feedback Friday time, folks. Uh, this I meant to do this last Friday. Obviously, other things were uh, more important. Um, <clears throat> so, we're going to do it today. Some of these comments are from episodes that came out uh, almost, what, two weeks ago? Two and a half weeks ago. So, uh, some things might have been updated in the comic news, but we're going to get to them all. First up, we're going to hear from Bruce Rosenberger from the Comics Cast podcast, uh, who had a comment, a voicemail, yay, voicemail, on the Driving and Talking Vertigo episode that I put out, and uh, he is taking me to task. So here we go. Hey, Peter, it's Bruce, and I was just listening to your Daily Rios, wherein you were talking about Vertigo, and you were driving in your car. It was I, I think it's the first episode, because it looks like there's another one called uh, Vertigo Part 2 that I have not gotten to yet. But I'm going to be right up front with you here, and I'm going to tell you, when you made a remark about you know people waiting for the trade, uh, I, I, I'm going to admit, uh, for a moment, I bristled. Because these days I am waiting for the trade more and more. But then, you know, instantly it dawns on me that you, you've got a very good point there that maybe that is affecting sales, maybe that is hurting the books. Uh, you know, for me it's just a matter of I don't know where to put the boxes. I do have some bookshelf space left. It's, it's getting to the point where I don't know where to put bookshelves anymore. But you know, I've switched over to the digital books, uh, prose books, because I, you know, I can't do it all. You know, I can't buy everything. So my comic book collections and my books about old comic strips and collections of, you know, those take precedence as far as bookshelf space go. But in any event, I guess, you know, I, I would love to hear um, yourself or, or a roundtable discussion you know, people's thoughts on on that very topic, you know, the, the trade versus the paper, or the floppies, I guess we have dubbed them in the past. And, uh, um, yeah, sorry, uh, some guy just pulled out in front of me. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, just some discussion on that, because, you know, for me, I mean, this is just the ideal way to read the books. They're, they're a little more expensive as a volume, although if you break it down by issue, it's probably cheaper. I don't get ads. I think it's presented better. Uh, I'm a little disappointed in the last couple trades that I got. I mean, uh, hardbacks, actually, that I got. I've, I've been buying the Daredevil series in, in hardback, and only to find out that they aren't bound like they used to be anymore. They're not saddle-stitched. They're, they're glue-bound, just like a, a trade paperback. And then they slap a hardcover on it. I just think that's—I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, you know, if it keeps the price down, I guess that's okay. But the reason I bought hardbacks to begin with was either one because you know I wanted to get them quickly, or two, uh, I wanted them in that saddle stitch format so that I could open the pages and I could see the page. You know, a lot of times with a trade paperback, with the way comics are done these days, it's hard to get down and you know see what's going on, you know, because the glue binding 
I can't get in there, and if I pull it too hard, it's going to crack the binding. You know what I mean? So, but all those things, you know, I mean, I, I really would like to hear uh, your thoughts and people's thoughts on, on trades. And for me, it's just, I, you know, I tell myself, okay, I'm going to read this, this book month by month. And then I never do. I end up waiting for six, 12 issues before I sit down and read a book. So if I'm going to do that, why not just get the trade? Something that I, that I can put on a shelf, you know, and um, instead of one of those boxes that are piled up up in the attic that I really don't know what to do with. Uh, anyway, so just, just some thoughts for a future cast. Talk to you later. Bruce, I totally understand. Uh, I know what I said. It's an easy mark to say, you know, when you say if you read in trades or you wait for the trades that you aren't necessarily helping sales. So you have every right to feel bristled. Um, because you could easily counter with, look, Vertigo does very well in trade sales, certainly in bookstores. Uh, and I definitely would agree with that. And most likely that's what kept many of their titles afloat over the years. So I totally get that. And, you know, Bruce is a champion of small press books and independent books and supporting the indie scene. I mean, he creates them himself. The criticism that I'm aiming at, uh, or the criticism that I, I mentioned in that episode, I'm aiming at those loud voices who always seem to put the blame on certain things, and in this case, uh, putting the blame of Vertigo's decline on, you guessed it, superhero readers, or as they like to call them, aging fanboys. And I, every time somebody uses that phrase, I just want to sock them in the jaw. They also might list in their comic stores. Uh, might be the, uh, to blame. Some comic stores might be to blame for Vertigo's decline because uh, they don't support anything outside of the big two. Now, to those people uh, who want to put themselves on a pedestal just because they've picked up a random Vertigo trade at a bookstore or a local comic shop, not to you, Bruce, and not to those people who have supported comics over the years, I just want to say to them, look, I don't think you really understand the ins and outs of comic book ordering and and that there is a food chain. If you buy a trade off the shelf with no pre-ordering, you're supporting that local comic shop, sure. You're supporting that bookstore, of course. You hope that the retailer looks at that sale and thinks, hmm, maybe I should up the count of my next volume of whatever that trade series is, uh, when I put in an order for the next one, right? You know, that's a good thing. Most likely, those retailers probably thought, I moved product. It, it's not going to sit on the shelf for months, right? Or they just continue ordering the same amount as before, or they might even cut back on their orders, right? Because here's the thing, and here's an example of something that I've done, and I'm sure many people have done, people that are familiar with comic stores or people who aren't familiar with comic shops, they walk in, a trade isn't on the shelf, and they don't tell the retailer, and all they do is they walk to a Barnes & Nobles or they pick up the volume at another comic shop. So now what's that first comic shop supposed to think? They don't know that they lost a sale, they don't know that they need to up their orders, and they continue ordering the same amount, or again, they order less. They don't know that they should order an extra copy. So for me, to those people who want to champion themselves as, as being the saviors of Vertigo because they happen to pick up a trade every now and then, pre-ordering is always the key. 
And that's the thing that they are not, most likely they are not doing. If you pre-order your trades, say a new trade is solicited in in previews, the next volume of American Vampire or Unwritten, whatever, you're voting. You're giving a ding on the trade count total that Vertigo needs to print. You're letting the local comic shop owner know that they need to order X amount. And and you know what? If you pre-order and you haven't been before, suddenly your local comic shop guys or girls going to go, oh, you know what? I need to order more next time. If you pre-order, suddenly there's a record. So generally speaking, I'm always amazed at, at comments like that that I've read... Um, you know, when they were announcing that Karen Berger was leaving Vertigo, of people criticizing readers for not actively supporting Vertigo, and yet you kind of want to say, you know what, you're not either on some level, right? And then it's I'm also very amazed um, that the word itself, pre-order, can be such a dirty word to some collectors. Brian Hibbs, who is a fantastic, outspoken comic book retailer in San Francisco, he runs Comics Experience, he has the Tilting at Windmills column over on CBR, Comic Book Resources, and used to be a frequent guest on Comic Geek Speak. I love his comments. I love what he has to say. I don't always agree with him, but here's a guy who, and I've said this a lot of times, who has to pay his electric bill. He has to feed himself. He has to make a living off of comics and sales and sales numbers every month. Here's someone who puts into practice what he analyzes. These aren't just loose numbers for him. They mean something. And it's why I'll always put his opinion over uh, behind-the-computer number crunchers, because he is practicing what he preaches on some level. So, anyway, even Brian Hibbs, in his store, said that his pool list customer account maybe accounts for 30%, 20% of his customers, maybe less. And here's a guy who was very, very aware of his inventory. He's aware of how to slide the scale on how many titles to buy, on which titles to buy, on comics and trades. Sometimes he doesn't buy trades at all, certain ones, because he knows he's not going to sell them. He knows his customer base. Yet, even at his store, his pool list percentage is really low. Now, imagine other local comic book uh, retailers who aren't as aggressive as he is in terms of knowing what's on the shelf. What are they to do with those people, those loud-voiced people who come in and say, look, I'm supporting Vertigo because I bought this, but I didn't pre-order it, right? Now, you flip all that and you go to an online store where where you basically have to pre-order, and you know what? They probably have a better idea of how many trades they need to sell every, or how many trades they need to order every month because when that new previous comes out and somebody wants a Vertigo trade, they need to check it off, and it becomes... Uh, a check mark on a record somewhere. Month to month, I have to assume that they have a really good grasp of what they need to order. And sure, something's going to catch them out of the blue, some comic, some trade, and they're going to need to reorder. But when you're dealing with pre-orders like that, I'd have to imagine the margin of error is is much, much less than a comic store who doesn't push pre-ordering or has customers that don't even think about pre-ordering. And here's another example of something that I know I do, and I'm sure many people do, and and I don't. There's nobody to blame but yourself for this. Uh, you go into a store, you look at ten volumes of Why the Last Man. You know that you have ish volumes one through three back on the shelf, and you go, you know what? I'll just pick up four. Eh, I'll wait. You know the the notion that your comic store is 
kind of like your library in, in some essence, right? You'll pick up the volumes when you have the time or the money or the incl inclination. So once again, picking up a, com uh, a trade without pre-ordering helps the comic shop, helps the bookstore, doesn't necessarily give Vertigo the information that they uh, could use in terms of, oh, we have to up orders or this title is, is having a strong sale um, over the course of these couple months, more so than this title, you know? So, again, ultimately, that was the point I was trying to make. I wasn't singling you out as a trade reader by itself. There were, there were added factors, right? The people who were crying out, once again, that it was DC's fault or reader's fault that Vertigo was declining, when in actuality, probably, who knows if they even were reading Vertigo, or if they were, uh, they're supporting it on their own time. You know, sometimes business is business, and sometimes people kind of just want things to be the way they want it to be forever, regardless of bottom line, new business initiative. And these are things that all kind of came into play with this whole Vertigo announcement, certainly with DC Entertainment. Doesn't excuse it, it just is. So I hope that helps, Bruce. Uh, plus, I don't want Bruce mad at me, because <laughs> he's the dean of comics podcasting, and he'll kick me out of the club. I will say this about waiting for the trade. He made a comment about comics piling up and then reading them, and then how is that any different than trades? Trades do sell better on eBay sometimes, and in that regard, uh, you know, trades can be better than, than single issues. We had a few more Vertigo comments uh, from the episodes that I put out uh, a couple weeks back. Div Collins says, Karen Berger may not have been a creator in the dictionary sense of the word, but the acquisition, nurturing, and no doubt protection given to all the talents she's worked with over the decades makes her as bright a light as she has been at DC. All those writers, artists, titles, what a dame. My comics reading would be fallow without her. Thank you, Karen. Div, great comment. Really great way to look at it. Mickey, he says, great episodes this week on Vertigo. Image has kind of been eating Vertigo's lunch for a few years now on titles that they could have been publishing. I'll keep buying the Vertigo comics that interest me and hope for the best. And if you haven't heard by now uh, on Twitter or in some on a comic site, longtime Vertigo editor Shelley Bond is actually going to be taking over as e executive editor of Vertigo. She's been with the brand since 1993, working alongside Karen Berger. So that's a fairly smart transition there. And uh, I'm sure everybody wishes her the best of luck. All right, let's go to a few comments from Friday Follow-Up, the episode where I talked about Jack Nicholson as one of my favorite actors. I talked about the new Star Trek Into Darkness trailer. And I read my pitch to DC on the character of Captain Comet. So I got a few comments here. Chris B., Charlton Hero, says, Yay, the series Hex finally gets some play. Thanks for that. Hex, Stiletta, The Dogs of War, Chain, and Future Batman need recognition. And it's funny that you mentioned that, Chris, because over on Facebook, I saw on some site, probably Bleeding Cool, that they were talking about Jonah Hex, and if you add up all the issues that he's been in, it's coming to some anniversary. I don't know if it's... 300, 200, 400, 500. It's, it's some anniversary issue. And Dan DiDio, I, I guess he was talking back and forth to Jimmy Palmiotti, and he says, do we count the Hex series? And a couple comments after that said, no, 
would you count? And they and the reason was they said, well, would you count Marvel twenty ninety nine or Spider Man twenty ninety nine in the grand Spider Man counting? And I want to say, well, that's wrong because those aren't the same characters. Spider Man twenty ninety nine, Miguel O'Hara is not the same as Peter Parker. Hex. That is Jonah Hex. That is Jonah Hex in the future. So yes, I would absolutely count the Hex series uh, if it ever comes down to counting up his um, issues because of an anniversary anniversary issue. Because that is him. It's not an alternate Hex. It is the same character. So those commenters who said that to Dan DiDio, they are wrong. All right, Chris B., he continues here. He said, The Jack Nicholson speech in Witches of Eastwick was classic, great choice. My favorite actor moment was actually John Candy in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Candy is one of those actors who spent his time doing lowbrow comedy bits. In this movie, it is more of the same until one key part in the film where Steve Martin, his unwilling travel partner, berates him and really does a harsh job of tearing Candy's character apart. Candy, clearly showing uncharacteristic range, delivers an emotional reply and is clearly hurt by what Steve Martin has said. You could almost feel the pain in his voice and instantly feel sorry for John's character. It's not Academy Award material, but something about it always gets to me. Weird choice, I know, but that movie needs to be seen. I've never seen Trains, Planes, uh, planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And it's a John Hughes movie, and uh, that's pretty bad. I need to watch that. Simon McDonald says, Regarding the new Star Trek trailer, which I think looks awesome, I have a theory regarding that through the glass bit where the two hands are being shown. First, if I get any of this right, and this happens to spoil the movie for someone, I'm sorry, but I'm just speculating. Okay, so I believe the hand on the other side of the glass from Spock belongs to Benedict Cumberbatch. I don't think that Cumberbatch is playing Khan, as is rumored. Rather, I believe he is playing Cybok, Spock's brother. In this universe, I'm guessing he takes after the more human side of his parentage. I believe Cybok will be driven for the need to revenge the destruction of his planet and the failure of the Federation to save Vulcan from its death. Only near the end of the movie will he realize the futility of his wishes and sacrifice himself in order to save the Enterprise and the lives of all aboard, including his brother, evoking the famous scene from Star Trek II between Spock and Kirk. Just a guess, though. You know, when Simon mentioned that, and I watched the trailer again, he does have... It looked like he had pointy ears. Uh, So, uh, you know... Could there be some truth in that? I'm not sure. There's been a ton of speculation. Um, you know, who's the blonde girl on the ship, and, and what is her relationship to uh, Benedict's character. And having just seen um, early season one original series Star Trek episodes with Gary Mitchell and Charlie X, you have to imagine that it's probably along those lines. And, and obviously there's been a lot of speculation, and who knows, maybe it's already out who the character is. Uh, I've seen two trailers. That's all I'm going to see because I'm going to be surprised. I'm going to try to stick, stay away from um, any kind of news bits on that because it's a long time until May. <laughs> so thanks, Simon. Uh, Nick Q on this same episode said, Loved the favorite actor segment with Jack Nicholson. Exactly what I was thinking of because Nick is the one who uh, gave me the idea to do the top five actor bit. Uh, he continues and says, Made me want to watch Witches of Eastwick. Could you also describe what special talents these actors have and how they're able to do what they do, or is it just magic? Can it be learned, or do they simply have talent that can't be analyzed? I'm interested in your opinion since you are an actor and understand the acting process. 
what is method acting, and are there other styles or philosophies of acting? I don't think Nicholson is a method actor, despite what one might think of Nicholson's Joker. He worked his ass off in that film. Much appreciated. A lot of topics there, Nick. Uh, About the special talents some actors have, you know, sometimes it's they just have charisma and they just have a great relationship with, with the camera. Someone like Tom Cruise, the, the more good-looking actors who also can act. They, there's just something, the camera loves them, right? With Jack Nicholson, he has great range with how to use his face and his body and his voice. Um, it's not just about the words. It's not just about the language. I try to tell this to my students with whatever I'm teaching them. It could be acting, it could be dance, whatever. You have to have variation, you have to have dynamics, you have to have, have hills and valleys, you have to understand it, what it is you are saying or doing or dancing, whatever. And that's, you know, Jack Nicholson, he has that. His crazy eyebrows, the way he uses his laughter. Um, he's a rough actor, right? He's not polished by any means. He's certainly not the best-looking guy in the world. He uses those qualities to push... The, the, the characters that he plays. Can it be learned? Sure. There's a lot of people who go to acting school, you know. Um, I think sometimes the best way to learn is by doing and watching other really great actors, whether it's on TV or in theater. I know a lot of actors who don't watch a lot of TV, don't watch a lot of movies, don't watch a lot of other theater shows. And you want to say, really? You don't? That's strange. Method acting. Uh, there's a great story that is often told and whether it's true or not it's become you know apocryphal right now but uh i love it nonetheless i think the movie is marathon man with uh dustin hoffman and um Lawrence olivier and it's something where dustin hoffman i don't know stayed up all night or ran to the shoot and got all sweaty and was all a mess and and he wanted to feel what that felt like. What does it feel like to be up all night or, or to be out of breath or running or whatever? And he looked just a mess and stank, whatever. Um, and Laurence Olivier turned to him and said, why don't you just act? Method act- acting is, is exactly that. If you want to know what, what it feels like to be punched in the stomach, you get somebody to punch you in the stomach. If you want to know what it's like to be an alcoholic, you go and attend uh, uh, AA meetings or you you put yourself on a bender and you get a crazy hangover the next night or you black out and you sort of go, oh, well, that's what that's like. That's what method acting is. And there's all variations of that. Just as there there are other styles and philosophies of acting, as you mentioned, a lot to get into right now, but uh, I'll put that on the to-do list. And we got one more comment for this particular uh Friday follow-up episode. This is another voicemail, two, yay, from Eric from Longbox, and uh, we'll play it here. Hi, Peter. It's Eric from the Longbox Review at longboxreview.wordpress.com. Hey, I just listened to a couple of your episodes, and I had a a few comments to make. Uh, The first one being, I second uh, your call for Paul French to return to the Poptopia podcast. I love that podcast, and I was was sad to see that go away. So hopefully Paul will hear this, and... uh, He'll return to it one day. Uh, second of all, uh, I I wanted to tell you that uh, I loved your your uh, Captain Comet pitch, and that is a comic that I definitely would be reading if DC would publish it. It sound re- sounded really cool, 
So uh, good job on that. Uh, too bad that DC didn't take you up on it. Uh, but there's always hoping, right? Anyway, uh, that was it. I just want to let you know those things. And uh, thanks. Bye. Thanks, Eric. I had a few comments about that, actually. Ryan Sanyo said he needed to head to Wikipedia to make out all of the, all of the DC nuggets that I dropped. Um, I meant to include some links in the show notes for that Captain Comet pitch. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Uh, Sandy Parker, as well, asked uh, about that pitch and the rejection letter. And he asked if the letter had DC heroes on the back standing on each other's shoulders. And I said, yep, they were there. So apparently he also sent in a a pitch or two and got the same stationery. (laughs) I imagine there are probably tons out there. And I think people should... uh, maybe someone should start a, get, uh, a Tumblr or something uh, showing everybody's rejection letter and uh, putting on there everybody's pitch. Um, that might that probably would be really cool. All right, let's go to Musical Monday, uh, where I spotlighted Dames at Sea. Had a few short comments here. Phil Silva said, Love the Musical Monday episode. Please keep them coming. Definitely. Steven Wooter also says, You know how I love musicals. Keep them coming, Peter. Electric Mayhem. Dang it, Peter, you had to close with that song, Salty for sure. Uh, the song I closed with was uh, Just One Person. Just One, yeah, Just One Person by the Muppets with uh, Bernadette Peters. And then he continues on and says, Les Mis is my Broadway blind spot. Never saw it. Uh, you, should. you should. You know, it's for what it is. Just accept it for what it is and maybe go see the movie. Uh, it's worth it. It's it's something that, as a, as a young uh, what was I? I guess I was in junior high school, just getting into theater, and I went to go see it on Broadway. It really did make me. It made me love theater, even though I already did. It it, it kind of showed me what kind of power theater could have, whether it's dramatic or not, whether it's uh, um, the deepest show or not. Les Mis has power, and you could probably turn many a youngster onto theater with that. John Carroll because I talked about reading the unabridged Les Mis book, he says, The upside of American and English literature from the 19th century and early 20th century is that they aren't really that long in comparison to other countries. French and Russian literature is boring and long. War and Peace and Brothers Karamazov. Uh, holy shit. <laughs> I've never read War and Peace. Uh, I've never read Brothers uh, Karamazov either. Um, but I have read the unabridged uh, Les Mis, and as you say, it is long. I, it's not all boring, but it is long. And then Nick Q commented on that uh, episode by saying, Happy to hear a new musical Monday. Often I tend to lead a very linear, linear and predictable life. Listening to musical Monday, even if it's Wednesday, breaks my thinking pattern, and that's a good thing. Thanks for the work, as I know it takes a lot of effort to put one of these together. Nick, thank you very much. I had a few comments on the driving and questioning episode that I put out where I was talking about Doomsday and um, all, all, a whole bunch of other stuff. Eric from the Long Box Review Podcast, once again, he says, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks about the sometimes interesting nature of dates, not to mention wondering what a post-apocalyptic world would look like. 12-12-12 won't happen again until after I'm long dead. With the Mayan calendar hubbub, and again, this comment came out before, um, you know, December 21st, he continues, he says, not to mention that any moment an asteroid or stray gamma emission from a pulsar can hit the Earth, or just the increasingly ferocity of the weather, 
I often look to my kids and wonder what life will be like for them and their children growing up in a world that is out to get them. Man, that went way dark. Sorry about that. Hey, no problem, Eric. I, I you know, after the events of the past, uh, you know, week, weekend, um, especially those of you who do have kids, yeah, uh, I, there's a lot probably that weighs on you. Um, I actually uh, was talking to my to my girlfriend, and, you know, she works in retail, and she said, you know, she was a little worried about after last week about, the many, many people in a store um, during the holidays and, um, you know, tragic events that can happen in certain shopping centers or stores or places where there are a lot of people. So um, I get that. I get that. You know, some of the the hubbub around the Mayan calendar stuff um, wasn't necessarily, for me, wasn't always necessarily the Mayan calendar thing. But I remember reading... Grant Morrison talking about, this was in one of the Invisibles letter column, talking about the idea that there is a point in time where we're all rushing to. And and I think that was actually December 22nd, 2012 in the Invisibles. Maybe, maybe it was another date, like 2022 or something like that. But as we get to this point... We're we're it, time is moving faster and faster and faster. You know, think about when you were a kid, how a day could last. It felt like it lasted forever. Now a day goes by so fast because we're older and we have more to think about. But, um, and maybe that's the point, right? It's not so much that the world's coming to an end, but it's it's a a still point of moving time. It's a point that we're reaching to, and who knows what happens on the other side? You know, now that we're on the other side of this Mayan calendar hubbub. Um, who knows? Who knows where we go? Will our mentality change? Will we start to be more positive as a, as a, as a people, as a group, as, as humans? Um, will it get darker? Will it get lighter? Uh, and that kind of thinking I can, I can subscribe to. That, to me, feels very real. You know, when you just look at certain points throughout history and time, and um, whether it's Newtown, whether it's 9-11, whether it's the Arab Spring, uh, you know, you, you look at the before and after, and you can see the events rushing to it, and then you can see the ripple effect leading from it. And that, to me, is very fascinating. So, Erica, I appreciate that comment. Um, Ed Moore of the Mighty Thorcast podcast said, Ah, yes, reminisce... Uh, talking about this driving episode, me talking in a car, he said, Ah, yes, reminiscent of those episodes back in the day of Neil Gorman and Studio Civic as well as Chris Parton early in his comic book addiction days. Something very podcasty about an off-the-cuff recording while driving. I like it. Thanks, Ed. And um, Ryan Sanyo has been doing a couple of those as well. And we were talking on Twitter, and I, I said, you know, I think either Neil Gorman probably was one of the first comics podcasts to do that, talk in his car. Uh, but then I thought, well, maybe... Um, uh, Augie DeBleek actually did because he he put out the first comic book podcast January 1st of 2005 I believe it was um, and Augie tweeted me back and said no I, I definitely didn't do a podcast in the car before Neil Gorman uh, but then Augie went on to say but I did probably record the very first comics podcast at San Diego Comic Con in a hotel at San Diego Comic Con so I thought that was a, an interesting tidbit to pass on, if it's true. Um, all right, just a few more here. We have Matthew Graham on Missing in Action Comics, 
those comics that started but never completed, and he said, just remembered this one, Image United. Crazy concept, doomed forever, I think. Yeah, they made such a big deal of that, and then, did they even get, I guess they got a few issues out. Maybe a zero issue and a first issue? And then nothing. It was supposed to be this whole big thing because Robert Kirkman was, was it when he was made a partner and, and they were going to do this Image United and bounce it around among all the uh, original Image founders still left at uh, Image and yeah, yeah, went nowhere. So that's a good one, Matthew. And along with Missing in Comics, along with that discussion, the benchmark discussion returns. Philip Duncan says... I don't think you can talk benchmark comic runs and not think of Swamp Thing by Alan Moore. There are so many things that Moore did in his run that others would emulate and adopt, from retconning the Alec Holland Swamp Thing history to include the character's first appearance in House of Secrets to basically creating the groundwork for what would become Vertigo with his horror-themed stories. So many things that Moore created in his run are still being used to this day. Concepts like The Green are still around and in active use even outside of Swamp Thing, because the New Earth 2 series has it and even Brightest Day. You could even say that Swamp Thing is one character that was revived post-Flashpoint with most of his continuity intact. I remember reading Moore's stories as they came out in 1985 when I was only 11 years old. Definitely heavy stuff for that age. I've reread the run multiple times, even as recent as a year ago, and they still hold up and pack a scare that you don't often find in comics. Just my contribution after listening to the Lee Ditko Amazing Spider-Man justification on your recent free Feedback Friday. Thanks, Philip, and Philip has been a, con uh, a huge help with the website, even to this day, and uh, I really do appreciate that, Philip, so thank you. And yes, it's hard to argue with that. It's hard to argue with a lot of Alan Moore 80s comics, Miracle Man, Watchmen, uh, Swamp Thing, the, and you're right, you know, Vertigo just blew up out of that. Um, everything from John Constantine to using the House of Secrets and House of Mystery characters of Cain and Abel uh, that would show up in Sandman. Um, there was even some Adam Strange stuff that he did later in the run, you know, near the end of his run, that uh, followed through into Fall of the Adam Strange. Um, it's been a while since I've read that series as a whole, but I know there are a lot more where you go, wow, look at all of this that has spilled out. Certainly, because of the green, we got the red in Animal Man. Eventually, Peter David in Aquaman would create the clear, which was the water version of the green. And then I, I want to say there was something called the gray and maybe the white, which probably showed up later in uh, Swamp Thing. But And then the whole elemental thing would play out in uh, Captain Adam and Firestorm and Red Tornado. So, yeah, that, that was a, a pretty influential series there. And uh, we got yet a third email, voicemail, I should say, from and this one from Ryan saying, you know, three voicemails and one Feedback Friday episode. I love it. So let's listen to what Ryan has to say from the Sanyo cast. Hello, Peter Rios. This is Mr. Ryan Sanyo of the Sanyo cast. Look me up on iTunes, everyone. Um, I was just calling in for a little bit of a feedback thing um, because I know one of the ongoing sagas of your podcast is what are uh, benchmark series. Sorry, I forgot the word for a second there. And in the, your last feedback Friday from like the, the end of November, you had questioned whether Spider-Man was a, a benchmark series. I, I believe it is. But it was funny because I was recently listening back to all the spotlights on Spider-Man 
and it's Comic Geek Speak episode um, 1215. So 1,215. And in that episode, they talk very extensively about it, and they make a very good case to say that it is a benchmark. Um, I'm not going to take up any more of your time, um, and I will see you later. Thank you. Thanks, Ryan. I haven't listened to that episode, uh, but uh, you know I'll have to see what they had to say. And certainly we had a comment a while back from Corey Strode. Oh, boy, I hope that's who it was. Solitaire Rose, yeah. Um, talking about why he believed that uh, Lee Ditko, Amazing Spider-Man, was a benchmark. So, uh, yes, thank you for that. So those of you who want to maybe hear a longer discussion on why uh, the Lee Ditko, Amazing Spider-Man stuff uh, is a benchmark, you can go listen to that episode of CGS. And then finally, I did get a few reactions to the few Newtown episodes that I put out uh, from Ann Langston, Eric Isaacson, uh, Stephen Chambers, Chris Muren, Electric Mayhem, and more. I do appreciate it, and I appreciate everyone um, allowing me to uh, sort of just get out what I needed to get out with those episodes and um, sort of express myself that way. And, um, you know, they, there might be more to come. Who knows? Um, and then I got an iTunes review from Herbal Cloud, Hilton Price, out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, who said... Still interested in comics, Rios incorporates his love of theater, television, travel, and more to offer a verite style that allows listeners not just commentary and opinion, but also a pulling back the curtain into the life of a Pennsylvania native making his mark in the world. Fun, interesting, and often funny, Rios has an easygoing style combined with a knack for deep and critical analysis that continually makes the podcast a must-listen. Hilton, that's an Thank you so much for that. I really do appreciate that, um, for taking the time of putting out that iTunes review and for saying those kind things. I hope I can keep it up. So there you go. That's your Feedback Friday episode for today. Um, wasn't too long, I don't think, once I edit all this together. Um, if you want to ever send me feedback, you can do so at peter at com, or you can leave feedback on the website at thedailyreels.com, and I do use those comments on these episodes you can also leave a review like hilton did on itunes if you haven't subscribed to the daily reels on itunes yet please do i put out an episode every monday through friday you can follow me on twitter at peter j rios i hope everyone has a great weekend in this last rush towards the holidays um i will be back with uh, a whole bunch of episodes next week. I'll be doing them all, all day, every day, every Monday through Friday, even though it's Christmas for me. Um, the Daily Rios won't stop. So, who knows, maybe you'll get another crazy Rios family madness thing. <laughs> all right, I'm out. Take care, be safe, we'll talk to you next week.